Would you stand please and uh, let, open up your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. In our Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 555. And I confess that I stand before you as one who has been broken. Reading from uh, chapter 8, Matthew, verses 18 through 22. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. God in heaven, we come to you and we praise you and exalt you for your greatness and your goodness, your faithfulness to us. We thank you that though we are broken, you stand as one who is a, the great healer and can, uh, with, your, with your mastery and your potter's hands, can reassemble and, and remake us to be used and uh, effective vessels for you. Thank you for your word and for its strength and encouragement to us. Help us to submit our lives and hearts to you so that we can be effective disciples and followers of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Bill, and good morning. On this beautiful weekend, we want to continue in our series that we began a couple of Sundays ago, a series that is based on the words of Christ himself, simply called, Follow Me. And what we are doing in looking in Matthew chapters 8, 9, and 10 is basically looking at what Jesus has to say of what it means to follow our Savior, our Lord, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This past week I had the opportunity to attend a pastor's meeting out in California. I'd never been to California before, so... Needless to say, I was quite excited about the opportunity to go to California and see what it is like out there on the West Coast. And so I flew into LAX last Monday and uh, got my rental car and I took off. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to eat at Gloria's Cafe, uh, which is a Mexican and Salvadorian restaurant I had found on uh, actually, they've been featured on diners, drive-ins, and dives. And I thought, hey, what better place of all the restaurants in L.A. to eat at than glorious restaurant located on Venice Boulevard. But I was there a little too early before lunch, and so I'm thinking Venice Boulevard. I wonder if that's connected to Venice Beach. Lo and behold, it was. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to go take in the sights and sounds of Venice Beach right down the road and you know, just see what it's like. And uh, so I park my car, I get out, and lo and behold, the people were really nice. In fact, two guys immediately walked up to me and asked if I wanted to buy some marijuana. <laughs> I politely said no, and then proceeded to take in the sights and sounds of Venice 
Beach. And I must say, it was beautiful. It was awesome. I saw Muscle Beach. I saw where they hoop it up. I saw a lot of different things. <laughs> and, uh, but I, you know, it's all part, of, it was very eclectic to say the least. And so then I had a wonderful lunch by myself in Glorious Cafe. Highly recommend it. Uh, Guy Fieri obviously ate there. And uh, so great place to eat. A little hole in the wall place. And so then after lunch, I took the PCH Highway, Pacific Coast Highway, along the coastline up to Ventura, about an hour and a half drive, and uh, it, was, it was beautiful. But one thing, uh, of all the things that I saw, uh, this did catch my attention as well, and that is all the vegetarian places you had to choose to eat at. I mean, they were everywhere, it seemed like. Uh, it seemed like there were as many vegetarian eateries as there are coffee shops uh, there in California. And while I have nothing against vegetarian, if you're a vegetarian here or even a vegan here this morning, nothing against you personally, uh, I, I, will want, I do want to share uh, something because this caught my attention. It reminded me of something I'd shared a while back in a message, uh, and that is a few years ago, MSNBC aired a report on TV about a group of new vegetarians. They interviewed one of the new vegetarians, a 28-year-old named Christy Pugh. And one of her quotes captures the viewpoint of this new group of vegetarians. She said, I usually eat vegetarian, but I really like sausage. You've got to think about that for a moment. She represents a growing number of people who eat vegetarian, but they make some exceptions. They don't eat meat unless they really like it. As you can imagine, the real vegetarians aren't real happy about the new vegetarians. They put pressure on the new vegetarians to change their name. And so here's the name they chose for themselves, Flexitarians. Christy explains it this way, I really like vegetarian food, but I'm just not 100% committed. Flexitarian. Now that describes a group of new vegetarians. But sadly enough, that also is a good way to describe how many people seem to approach their journey with Jesus Christ, how they walk with Christ, their commitment to Jesus Christ. They call themselves Christ followers. That is, they follow Jesus, but they've made some exceptions when it comes to their walk with Jesus Christ. So when bacon is on the menu... Their commitments can be adjusted to kind of fit their taste, to fit their likes, what they want, what they wish. You could say the crowds that we have seen over the last two Sundays in the book of Matthew here kind of embraced a flexitarian approach to their commitment to following Jesus. But if we're going to see this morning, following Jesus requires a complete and total commitment on behalf of us. In fact, Jesus' goal then, just as it is his goal now, it's still the same. If you want to follow along in your notes, you can. His goal then in Matthew and now today is to gather fully devoted, you could even say completely committed followers with two simple words, follow me. But what does that mean when Jesus says follow me? What does that look like today? In the very first message we saw, that four fishermen left all things in order to do one thing, to follow Jesus with everything. We looked at this in Matthew chapter 4 when he called 
Peter and Andrew, and then later two more brothers, James and John. But there were still many people who were following Jesus with what we could call a, a casual association. world in history, what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, and let me tell you, he is more popular than ever right now among the people. In fact, in today's culture, we would say everyone wanted to be Facebook friends with Jesus. Jesus had more Twitter followers than Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift combined. And what's the first thing Jesus does after he comes down off the mountain? Man, he heals people. We saw last Sunday Jesus performed three miracles which only increased his popularity, only attracted more people to him. We saw last Sunday he healed a leper. And then he healed a centurion servant. And then he walks in and Peter's mother-in-law, he touches her and her fever is gone. Three miraculous healings. And so the crowds are swarming around him. Heals these people and he's popular with the people. But why? Why did Jesus heal? What was his purpose in these healings? Beyond just you know physically healing somebody of their sickness, of their diseases, what is the greater purpose of it all? Well, Jesus, or I should say Matthew, wants us to see something about Jesus Christ. Matthew's writing this book for his audience in particular Jews, uh, Jewish audience, but he also has application for us. He wants us today even to see something about Jesus Christ. He wants us to see Jesus' authority in his teaching, but he also wants us to see Jesus' authority in his healing. He wants us to see his power because both proclaim something about Christ. They both proclaim Jesus is king. Both his words that he teaches with and his works in which he heals both bear witness to his kingdom authority. And so here's the message of Matthew now to us. The message that Matthew makes it so clear is that Jesus possesses absolute authority in this world. Therefore, he warrants from you and I absolute allegiance from this world. And so as the people witness the miraculous healings of Jesus, and as they saw the crowds swarming around Jesus, many began to think to themselves, and many began to conclude, hey, you know, I, I think I might want to follow this guy. I might want to follow this teacher, this rabbi, this, this savior. And seeing this, Jesus stops, and he begins to explain, well, here's what it means to follow me. Jesus begins to answer questions like, well, what does following me involve? What does it cost? What does a, a fully committed follower look like? And so what we have here now in this section of Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22, is a, a short little discipleship lesson, a, a mini lesson on, on what it means to follow Christ. In fact, we could kind of call these this little section here, Following Jesus 101. And so let me give you the summary of the class that Jesus teaches to these disciples who wish to follow 
Christ, just as it is the same with us. The summary of following Jesus 101 is Jesus has authority to demand your full devotion to him and his mission. That's the essence of what we're going to see this morning. He has the authority as the king of kings, the one who has come to rule, to demand our full devotion to himself and to his kingdom mission. Many people want to follow Jesus on their own terms. That was the case with the crowds in Matthew's day. And to be honest with you, not a lot has changed in 2,000 years. But Jesus has authority to demand our full devotion, our full commitment. It's interesting that the crowds followed Jesus, hoping to get something from him. Hey, after all, he just got through performing miracles. Maybe if I get close enough to him, he'll do something for me. What miracle will he do for me? But so few were willing to do what he told his disciples later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And it's precisely at this point where we see the relevance now of Jesus' interaction, his encounter with two different men who initially seemed very eager to follow Christ, but Jesus knows they want to follow him on kind of their own terms. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 8, we see that one man comes to Jesus and says, Hey, I will follow you, Jesus. And in verse 22, Jesus tells the second man, follow me. But let's be honest, Jesus' response to these men seems rather cold and hard. To the first, he says, no place to lay your head. And to the second, he says, let the dead bury the dead. So what in the world is going on here? What was Jesus doing in responding the way he did? Well, I think Jesus was teaching and he's testing these two men, just as he's trying to teach us now and even in a way test our commitment to follow him. Jesus was teaching what it means to follow him. He was teaching that follow him will require a sacrifice of our security and it will require a realignment of our priority. And Jesus was testing if we're really serious about this. Are we really serious about following him? He was testing to see if, if, if he is really the greatest treasure of our lives and to see if Jesus is really our everything in life. And yet, don't make these words more difficult than they are. Jesus is not saying there will never be a time when you have a bed and pillow and roof over your head. In other words, it's not necessarily wrong that we all have shelters, we have houses, we have homes, and comfortable beds and pillows in which we sleep on. He's also not saying it will always be wrong to care for your parents and to be at their funerals. He's not saying that either. But the point Jesus is making to us here this morning is that he knows our hearts. He knows our idols. He knows what is competing in our hearts for our allegiance to him and keeps us from being fully devoted followers of him. And so Jesus is simply raising the issue in these two men's lives, just as he's now raising the issue for us here today. And he's raising the issue and he tells us, listen, here's now what it means to follow after me. 
You want to separate yourself from the crowd? You want to be part of the, the few that are really serious? Here's the commitment it requires. In following Jesus 101, we learn from this first man. We could call him the hasty scholar. And what we learn from this hasty scholar is that talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Due his, to his growing fame, the crowds had apparently swarmed around Jesus and his disciples. And so he gave this command to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But before Jesus and his disciples could get in the boat and actually cross over to the Sea of Galilee, a scribe approaches him. Now a scribe, just simply think of a scribe as a professional teacher of the law, in particular the Old Testament law. The priests had been corrupted by their wealth and distracted by their politics, and so it was the scribes now who were known for protecting and guarding and explaining what the Old Testament law meant to the Jewish people. They served as teachers of the people. In fact, they were often called rabbis. And so there were, they were even highly regarded, well-respected by the people in a lot of ways. And so this scribe now comes to Jesus. He's probably seen Jesus from afar. He's probably seen him perform the miracles. And now he approaches Jesus and he declares in verse 19, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now those words, let's be honest, they seem rather impressive, don't they? I mean, how many of us have ever said that? Lord, I'll go wherever you go. Wherever you leave me, I will follow. This guy seems to understand what Jesus is looking for. He knows the right words to say. He states his commitment to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow. Sure sounds like a committed follower to me. Fully devoted, right? No restrictions, no boundaries, no borders, just wherever. But look at Jesus' response. In verse 50, in verse uh, 20. Well, verse 19, look what it says. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm guessing with a bit of a smile, Jesus maybe turns to the person and says, you want to follow me? Oh, by the way, I'm homeless. My guess is that this revelation was often a deal breaker for a lot of people in the crowds that thought they might want to follow Jesus. Jesus knows the shallowness of the hasty scholar's statement, and so what he begins to do is to address the true cost of following him. Jesus is making it clear up front to this man that following him is not a life of fame and esteem. Following him won't mean going from town to town, staying at the Jerusalem Inn, and ordering room service. Jesus is challenging this hasty scholar, just as he's now challenging us today to count the cost of following him. This person says, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus points to a place that will be a threat to this man's comfort, a threat to his security, and ask, what about there? We're left with the impression this wannabe follower quickly rescinded his offer. Oh, did I say wherever that just kind of came out of my mouth 
oh, that was meant to be a figure of speech. I didn't think you would take that literally. You know, I can identify with this guy, this scribe. Because it's easy to talk about following Christ, isn't it? But we learn from this hasty scholar that talk is rather cheap. John Calvin, reflecting on these very verses, says, we should learn not to make wild and irresponsible claims to be Christ's disciples without taking any thought for the cross and the hardships of it. In other words, anyone can claim to be a follower of Jesus. Anyone can make bold statements. But the measurement of a Christ follower is not what you say. The real test is, do you know who Jesus is? And in Matthew, the context here is Jesus is the king who has come to rule and bring the kingdom. And the second, and will you follow him when it gets tough? You see, this hasty scholar thought Jesus was just another teacher, just another rabbi like himself. And he tried to sign up. But following Jesus isn't like that. It involves sacrifice. It involves difficulty. It involves suffering. And that's the whole point Jesus is making to him and to us. In fact, here's the lesson from the hasty scholar here. Notice this on the screen. Following Jesus demands a willingness to forsake earthly securities in order to follow Jesus with kingdom loyalty. Now let's stop and pause here just for a moment. And as we pause here, I want you to give some thought to what it means to follow Jesus. Because let's be honest, most of us, and I would include myself in this, we commit our time and our resources to make our lives as comfortable as possible. We are by nature comfort seekers, not cross bearers. We are people who sit in our lazy boys wrapped in our Snuggies. Have you seen the Snuggie commercials on TV? How many have seen the Snuggie commercials on TV? All right, good. You know those blankets with sleeves? As Kyle Eidelman writes in his book, Not a Fan, at first I thought it was a ridiculous idea. But the more I saw the Snuggie, the more I wanted one. When my wife asked me what I wanted for Valentine's Day, I was surprised by the words that came out of my mouth. I said, I want a Snuggie. That's a phrase you never plan on saying as a grown man. I was excited about a blanket with sleeves. When it finally arrived, I put it on and thought, wait a second, I already have one of these. This is just a bathrobe that you put on backwards. How true. Now, in all seriousness, contrast the image of a Snuggie with the image of the cross. One represents ease and comfort and warmth. The other represents sacrifice and suffering. So it's no surprise then that more than 20 million Snuggies have been sold. But how many people are willing to follow Jesus? when it gets tough. Go back to what Jesus said to the scribe in verse 20. Look what he said. What phrase did Jesus use to describe himself? He said, the son of man. 
has nowhere to lay his head. Now that's a very interesting title that Jesus uses of himself. The Son of Man. It's a title that Jesus, in fact, loved to use of himself. For it speaks to the, to the humiliation and even the exaltation of Jesus as king. The primary background for this title goes back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where, where Daniel has a vision, and his vision culminates with someone like a son of man, meaning that the one Daniel saw in his vision looked human. And this human-looking man is seen to have dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve. In other words, this is a vision of Jesus' authority and of His rule, of His sovereignty. His dominion is everlasting. It will never pass away and His kingdom will never be destroyed. And so now, going forward from Daniel in the Old Testament, when Jesus uses this term, the Son of Man of Himself, He's using it in the sense that He has the ultimate authority to do what he's doing now. He has the ultimate authority to claim what he's claiming to be the king and to even ask his followers to do the same. Jesus has the dominion. He has the glory. He has the kingdom in which all peoples and nations are going to serve him one day. And yet... He is also the king, get this, who has willingly given up his right of comfort and rest in order to serve and to save. And in this great sacrifice, Jesus says, I have no place to lay my head. And now Jesus questioned to us, as it was to this hasty scholar, if you want to follow me, understand you are following the king but you must also be willing to follow my example of sacrifice. We're not told if this hasty scholar followed Jesus or not. And I think the reason is simple, that Matthew leaves that little tidbit out of the story. Because I think Matthew wants us to put ourselves in the shoes of the hasty scholar. In other words, the story is still left to be written by our choice today, by our response today. Because what matters is whether each of us will follow Jesus on his terms, not our terms. Jesus encounters another man who wants to be a follower of Jesus on his terms, but we learn from number two, this reluctant follower, we learn from him, don't wait to follow Jesus. Don't wait. I recently came across a website called Mother of All Excuses. You can actually Google that phrase and you'll take you right to it. It was set up so people could share excuses that they've used and others could take advantage of. There are over 400 excuses to use on the job. More than 500 excuses for cutting class are listed. Don't go there, kids. There are several hundred excuses for breaking dates. There are excuses for cheating on a diet, excuses for when you've been pulled over by the police, and there are even excuses for missing church. Don't go there, church. Here are my top five that are supposedly true, 
work-related excuses. Here they are. I won't be in to work today. My fish is sick, and I need to take it to the vet. I'm not coming in because I need a mental day. I kind of like that one. I need a mental day. Number three, I won't be in today because I've come down with spring fever. <laughs> I like that one, too. Number four, can't make it in. I have a chance of filling in for someone on jury duty. You'll, you'll get it. And then my, here's my favorite one. When I get up, got up this morning, I accidentally took two X-lax in addition to my Prozac. I can't get off the jump, but I feel good about it. <laughs> now, this second man is invited by Jesus to follow him. We don't know much about this man other than the excuse he gave for not following Jesus. This man tells Jesus in verse 21, look at it. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus tells him in verse 22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this man seems willing to follow Jesus. The first word out of his mouth is Lord. But the second word out of his mouth is the problem. And it's the word first. So he wants to follow Jesus, but now isn't a good time. And so he tries to offer Jesus an excuse that he can put Jesus off for just a little while. But Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in this man's excuse. But I have to tell you, his excuse seems pretty reasonable to me. After all, he just wants to have a funeral for his father. So isn't Jesus being a little too hardcore here? I mean, let the guy go bury his dad. But it should be pointed out, most Bible scholars believe that more than likely this guy's dad is still living and was probably in good health. So when this man says, let me first go and bury my father, it's really another way of saying to Jesus, Lord, when my parents die, I will follow you. Now let's be honest. There is a sense in which most of us, we resonate with this guy's excuse. Because it's not that he isn't willing. It's just not good timing. He isn't saying flat out no to Christ. He's just saying, oh, not right now, Lord. So how does Jesus respond to this, this man's excuse to first go and bury his father? Well, it's interesting. Jesus didn't say, I understand. Take your time. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say, whenever you're ready, I'll be waiting right here. What Jesus said was, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, here's what Jesus means by that phrase. Jesus is saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Why? Because the affairs of this world, the things we think are so important in this world, are mundane, are trivial, compared with the importance of God's kingdom work, of reaching the lost with the gospel, which, by the way, has the power to raise the spiritually dead to new life in Christ. Now, Take this man's, this reluctant follower's response to Christ and contrast it to the response of the four fishermen 
that we saw the first Sunday of the series. Do you remember Peter and his brother Andrew? Do you remember their response in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19? Jesus comes and says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in verse 20, it says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus sees two more brothers and he calls James and John and it says in verse 22, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, the most dangerous part of following Jesus tomorrow isn't what you will lose between now and then. That's not the worst thing that can happen in our lives. The worst thing that can happen is that tomorrow might never come in our lives. The truth is, the longer that we put off Jesus, the more likely it is that following him will never happen in our lives. And so today is the day to start following Christ. And so here's the lesson from the reluctant follower. Look at it coming up on the screen. Following Jesus demands a willingness to realign earthly priorities in order to follow Jesus with kingdom urgency. Now the tension should be rather obvious. Listen to me carefully. Family, and even caring for aging parents is certainly not a bad thing. We know that because of the fifth commandment. We know, and Jesus knows, and he supports the fifth commandment. When he was dying on the cross, he even looked at John and said, hey, take care of my mother. He encourages people to care for their parents. So what's the problem here? The problem, hear me on this, is not family. The problem is not parents. The problem is this man's priorities. And that is why Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, what Jesus is doing for this reluctant follower, and folks, he's doing it for us even now. He is calling for an allegiance that takes greater priority than the most basic relationships in our lives. Later on, Jesus will say to the crowd in Matthew 10, verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, our love of family must never push Jesus to the back burner or to the back of the line. We must love Jesus with supreme adoration more than father or mother, son or daughter, husband or wife. Here's what's happened. While we are all focusing on the family... Jesus says, focus on me. Again, family is not bad. God is the creator of family. He's the creator of marriage. But part of the cost of following Jesus means that someone more important than father or mother, son or daughter, has taken over your life. And so now we realign our priorities around Christ 
and around His kingdom mission. Timothy Keller, who is a pastor in New York City, puts it this way in his book, King's Cross. He says, and I quote his words, Jesus is saying, knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me, must become the supreme passion of your life. Everything else comes second. Where are we at when following Christ gets tough? And by the way, Jesus said it will. He never sugarcoated what it meant to follow Him. Listen, Jesus is calling for an allegiance that takes greater priority. Because His goal is clear. He wants to gather fully devoted followers to Himself and His mission. And so, the question for us this morning is, will you remain in the crowd? Or will you answer His call to follow Him with full devotion? Listen, like this scribe, there are some who are full of passion to follow Jesus, but they quit when it gets tough. Like the second man, this reluctant follower, there are others who, are, who sign up with gusto to follow Jesus, but they keep putting it off. Because something's always coming up. Something more important is distracting them, is filling their heart, filling their priorities. So what now? What now for us? Well, here's the what now. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life pursuing earthly things, earthly priorities, earthly passions. Instead, make your life count by following Jesus with full devotion to Him and His mission. Listen to me. Realize that following Jesus is not about what we lose but far more about what we gain. It's not as if Jesus is merely presenting a challenge to us. Listen, He is presenting an opportunity to follow the King of kings and to live a kingdom life that will make a difference for all eternity. No wonder Jesus says to us in Matthew 10, verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I want to end by showing you a video. This video is, is of a man named Chris Norman. Chris Norman epitomizes what it means to follow Christ. He epitomizes what it means to say no to an earthly pursuit of this world in order to follow kingdom priorities and kingdom passions and a kingdom mission. Take a look at this video. Lord, you would help us to see the veneer and the shallowness of the things that we hold so dear to our hearts that hold us back from following you with full devotion. And so, Lord, in your grace and in your power, we want to respond to you. We want to follow you. And we want to do so as fully devoted followers of you. And so I ask that by your spirit and by your word, you would challenge each of us here this morning as to whether we are in the crowd or we are truly fully devoted followers of you. Lord, help us to evaluate
areas of our lives where we're still hanging on to, areas that need to be realigned when it comes to our priorities. And Lord, meet us where we are at. Strengthen our faith. Help us to be willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary, knowing that what we find in you is so much greater. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.